Man, it is a beautiful day out there today. It is sweater weather. Come on now, somebody. Who else got a pumpkin spice latte this morning? Am I the only one? Anybody? Anybody? Let me see your hand. You know, I think I'm convinced uh, they are good, okay? They are good. So whether you're on the fence about it or not, you should try one. Here we go. Uh, but we're not talking about that drink today. We're talking about another kind of drink today, and that would be alcohol. Come on, somebody say alcohol. <laughs> Never done that before in church, have you? Come on now. Uh, but we are starting a new series called Culture Clash, and I'm very excited about it. Um, and it's really just this series, the idea is how do we live in a world where faith and culture collide daily, right? How many of you know that, that the Christian culture and, and Christianity, what we're supposed to do in our lives is, is very different than what culture says that we're supposed to do, amen? It's, it's completely different sometimes. And we're gonna be talking about alcohol, abortion, politics, racism, sexual sin, LGBTQ, and all kinds of other fun stuff. Doesn't that sound fun? How many of y'all are nervous? Come on now. For me, specifically, for me. Well, man, listen, let me tell you. The Bible has a lot to say directly and indirectly about all these things. So I'm gonna share with you what I see in scripture. I'm gonna let that do the talking, okay? So if there's a fact, I'm gonna preface this. If there's a fact, then I'm gonna tell you this is a fact. If I have an opinion on something, I'm going to tell you this is my opinion on this, okay? Uh, and I wanna make sure I tell you that because... Um, Many people have asked me, they said, Pastor, even today, this morning, I've already heard it. I've heard it all week. Pastor, are you nervous to preach this series? Uh, like you're, you're a brave man talking about these things. And the truth is, not at all. I'm not nervous at all. Let me tell you why. If I'm nervous, it's because I'm more worried about what people will think about me and my opinion on these matters. But here's the problem. I only care about what people think about Jesus and what God's word has to say about these matters. Can I get an amen today? I, I try my best not to have opinions. I really do. I try my best to just read the word of God, and let it speak. So I study, I hear from God. And if people are upset with me, they can take it up with God in the Bible because that's my source. All right? So I want to make it also very clear right up front that these are not political issues, okay? These are not cultural issues. These are biblical issues. These are not things that we need to stay away from in the church just because it's a hot button on Capitol Hill, right? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it. Oh, because it's divisive and, and you know, people are talking about it in politics. It doesn't make it a political issue inherently. These are moral issues. It makes it a biblical issue. And I believe that we should talk about cultural issues from a biblical perspective because this is what we're talking about already in everyday life. You're already having this conversation, unfortunately, at the Thanksgiving table like in November. It's coming up. You know your crazy uncle that believes something different about you is gonna come and you're gonna have that conversation and it's gonna be terrible, okay? But you're already talking about this stuff in the break room. You're already talking about this stuff with your friends. You're already talking about it at your job. You're already thinking about it. You're hearing it's being pushed on you by the news. There's this divisive, all these different issues and things like that. So listen, I think it's very, very important um, to have a biblical perspective, even as a parent trying to talk to your kids about these different things. You need to have a biblical perspective because if you don't have a Christian worldview on them, culture will very, very quickly give you one. Amen? Culture will give you a, a worldview that it wants to have for you and it wants to push on you very, very quickly. So I think it's important to have a biblical perspective. I'd also like to preface this uh, series as well. Today, this message, you're gonna be fine. But for the rest of the series, if you have uh, a child that's in the room today, 
probably the best thing, I would say anyway, you could pray to God and ask what you should do, but probably to take them over to Rad Kids for the rest of the series. I just don't see any good uh, from your third grader being in here as we talk about some of these issues. I just don't think it's probably the smartest thing to do. Today, you're gonna be fine, uh, but for some of these other ones, probably I would talk to God about it. Uh, But man, we have a world-class Rad Kids team over there, great volunteers, amazing leadership, and they would love, love, love to have your kids over there in Rad Kids, not just for this series, but every Sunday. Uh, They wanna help them to find and follow Jesus and to have a blast while they're doing it. So uh, consider that as well. But today, I wanna talk about alcohol in the Bible. What does the Bible say about alcohol? Is it a sin to drink today? What kind of wine did Jesus make at the wedding at Cana? I know that's a question everybody wants to know. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But before that, let me pray, because I'm gonna need some help today. Father God, thank you for this amazing day that you've given us, beautiful weather today. Father, I just praise you. We get to come into this place, look to your word to talk about these issues that people think about, they care about, and affects us in such a deep way for some of us. So Lord, pray that you would help me to preach this word. It wouldn't be my words, but yours. Open up our eyes, ears, and hearts, and all God's people said. Amen. Well, Christians think very differently about this subject. And so right off the bat, I want to kind of lay some of my cards out on the table. And by the way, if I'm rushing through this and it feels like I'm just kind of like pushing through it real fast, it's because I have a lot to get through, okay? Somebody said, uh, uh, Pastor Keaton actually said, how are you going to do a whole message on alcohol? And I said, how am I not doing a whole series on alcohol, my dude? I have to push like three or four messages that I could talk about on this into one message today. It's gonna be real tough. I'm gonna fly through it. So take notes, but you could also go back and watch it later if you need to. So um, right off the bat, I wanna let you know, uh, my family, there was somebody in my family that really struggled with alcohol. And I watched it almost tear my family apart when I was a kid. Awful, awful stuff. It's a series, it's a message for a different day, a testimony for another day. But I've seen with other families where it did, in fact, tear those families apart. Luckily, in my situation in my family, uh, you know, you see my parents are here every Sunday, and my brother's here every Sunday, and we have an amazing family, and, and uh, it's incredible what God did in my family. But I've seen other families where they were not so lucky, where it didn't work out the same way. And I know many people who've lost a loved one to drunk driving accidents, I know people that have died because of uh, um, drunk driving accidents or even alcohol poisoning is terrible. It's terrible. Alcohol can be dangerous. Amen? Very, very dangerous. Um, People that are hopelessly addicted to this stuff. It seems like there's no hope for them. Uh, But on the other hand, I know people that never drink. They've never had a problem with it. They never drink. Or even people that rarely drink alcohol. It's not like something that they do on a regular basis. They, they might drink every once in a while and uh, they drink it responsibly and uh, they're not addicted to it in any way. They might have a good glass of wine at dinner uh, at home with their wife or something like that. Or, you know, they're trying to celebrate something or just hanging out just you know, at home, whatever it might be. But most people are kind of somewhere in between, if I'm being honest. Even Christians uh, are divided on this and many of them are, are somewhere in between. So I'm not here today to change your view on whether a Christian should drink or should not drink alcohol, okay? I am more concerned about if you should drink alcohol. Does that make sense? I care more about you personally and your walk with God and your convictions on what it's God telling me to do. Uh, Some of you are more in the Christian liberty camp 
And you're more like on this side of things where you're saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I can do whatever I want. Romans 14, Paul says that, you know, all things are permissible, whatever. Like I can do whatever I want. Uh, And I think some of y'all might need to shift your thinking a little bit more towards the other side. And then there's some people that are over here that are saying, no Christian should never drink. You should never touch it. And if you do, it's a whole, it's a sin. You're sinning against God and you're causing other people to stumble. And I think maybe you guys might learn a little something and and maybe kind of lean more this way by the end of it. The point that I want you to understand today is I want everybody on each side of the camp to see each other's point of view, to see what the Bible says about it, and then I'll let you do with that what you will. Okay, does that make sense? So I'm not encouraging anyone to drink alcohol. I will say that too. There's some passages in the Bible that speak positively of wine and alcohol, and it speak negatively of wine and alcohol. I just want to make sure everyone knows I'm not encouraging anyone to drink alcohol, all right? I will never do that. Um, But I think people might need to shift our perspective on it and let the Holy Spirit convict your own heart and tell you what to do. Does that work for y'all? Amen? Can we do that? All right. So uh, I'm not even going to tell you what I do, honestly, because I don't want it to distract you from what the Bible says. I just don't even think it's relevant, honestly. But I'm going to start off real strong with this, okay? John the Baptist did not drink alcohol, and Jesus did, okay? I'm going to say it right up front. John the Baptist did not drink alcohol. Jesus did. Almost unequivocally, it is obvious when you look to scripture, I'm not going to get into the Greek. I'm not going to get into the Hebrew a whole lot today. But the word is oinos, okay, uh, for alcohol in the New Testament. It, for the most part, is translated as fermented alcoholic beverage. But it could also potentially be translated as grape juice. There's a possibility, but most scholars agree that it was alcoholic wine. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But let me share with you why, uh, aside from the cultural, historical perspective, let me just share with you straight from scripture why we can see that this is true. Luke 7, 33 through 34 says, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. This is Jesus talking, by the way, to a crowd of people. He's come eating no bread, drinking no wine. You say, he has a demon. But the son of man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the Nazarites, they were a group of people who were completely dedicated to the Lord and his service. And this is the only group in all of scripture that was told specifically to never, ever drink any form of alcohol. The only group. Now, John the Baptist was told and called by God to never drink alcohol. What would you infer is that John the Baptist was also a Nazarite. We don't really know that though. We're not really sure. It's possible that he was a Nazarite. It would make sense considering that was the only group that wasn't supposed to. The only other group that was not supposed to drink alcohol was priests in the Old Testament as they were uh, in their duties toward the Lord. As they were going into the temple of God, they were not supposed to drink of alcohol because God didn't want that stuff going into his presence, all right, into into the house of God. And so, Uh, That was the only two groups, really, but the ones that were never supposed to were Nazarites. So this is what Jesus is saying here. John the Baptist came, and he was doing his thing, and he had this diet that was kind of crazy. He ate locusts and honey, and and he wore different kind of clothing. He was not like a normal uh, Jewish person at the time, and, and he was set apart by God specifically. And so he ate different things. He had a different lifestyle. And and what he's saying is, man, John the Baptist didn't drink any wine, didn't eat any bread, things that might've been considered bad to drink at the time or eat at the time. And then I come and I'm eating bread, I'm drinking wine and I'm going to parties and I'm hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and all this kind of stuff. You say, he's crazy. And you say, I'm a drunk. 
What is he saying? Man, none of what we do, neither of us are ever gonna be good enough for you guys. No matter what I do, I could be like John the Baptist. I could be like this. I could do whatever it is that I do. You're always gonna find something wrong with me is what Jesus is saying. We're never gonna be good enough for you guys. So here's the kicker though. How would they accuse Jesus of being a drunk if he was drinking grape juice? Just think about it for a second. Like practically, logically, a lot of the Bible is just common sense, y'all. You just gotta break it down. It's common. How would you accuse somebody of being a drunk if he was going to parties and drinking grape juice while everybody else was drinking alcohol around him? Come on, guys, it doesn't make sense. He was definitely drinking alcoholic wine. This is the big debate, though. Was the wine in the New Testament alcoholic? And I think that the answer is undoubtedly yes. Let me tell you why. I'll give you some information about wine. Grapes, in that time, they would be pressed. Actually, it was underneath uh, people's feet. That's how they would press it. Some of y'all got some stanky feet. Wouldn't want y'all making my wine, okay? Uh, But it was stored in jars and wineskins. And back then, they had no true refrigeration. They had some things that they could do that would kind of keep, but they had no true refrigeration at the time. That's the only way that you can keep grape juice from fermenting. The fermentation process starts immediately, okay? And a lot of people don't know that. It starts automatically when the grapes are pressed. And so ancient Greeks and Jews, they wrote a lot about diluting wine in order to not get drunk It was also for health reasons as well. Drinking unmixed wine, just wine straight up that was fermented and had not been mixed with water or anything else was actually viewed as barbaric. There's something they would not generally do. Now, some people did if they were trying to get absolutely plastered, right? But it was not something that was looked upon as a good thing to do. It was looked as barbaric. And uh, the Talmud which is the Jewish basically book of law and book of rules. Uh, it's kind of their secondary book, according, you know, not the Bible, but it's their secondary book in a sense. Uh, it talks about a dilution of three parts water to one part wine. That's what the ancient Jews would have done. The early church fathers in Christianity talked about a three part water to one part wine ratio. So they diluted it down. And there's other uh, historical and biblical uh, references of them actually diluting it up to 10 to 1, 10 parts water to one part wine. Some of them are even up to 20 parts water to one part wine. So what does that tell you? That the stuff that they were drinking was weak, all right? It was some weak stuff. And uh, distillation, this whole process of making alcohol differently was not even invented until almost a thousand years after Jesus was walking on the earth. So hard liquor, like tequila or vodka, rum, whiskey, that didn't even exist in biblical times. They didn't even know what that was. And so their definition of a strong drink, when you see that word strong drink in the Bible, it's actually more comparable to just kind of like a strong beer that we have today. A lot of us, when we read wine and strong drink, we're thinking like wine and whiskey. And it's like, no, 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 no. It would be like, really, really diluted wine, and then like a regular beer was their strong drink. So let me give you some percentages. Like I said, I'm gonna fly through this today, so keep up with me, okay? Wine today can be anywhere from around 10 to 20% alcohol. Now back then, it was around seven to 10% alcohol. That's what they estimate anyway. They're not entirely sure, but that's kind of what they estimate. So if, if, if that seven to 10% alcoholic wine was diluted by three parts water, do the math. Come on, math people. Where are we at? We're around 2 to 3% alcoholic content in the wine that they drink. For context, a standard beer or seltzer 
like a white claw, for example, okay, would be 5%. Some of y'all smiling in this place. So I know who my drinkers are right now. I caught all y'all with that one comment. Anyway, <laughs> by today's uh, legal standards, a drink has to be at least 3.2% to even be considered an alcoholic beverage. So the wine that they were drinking back then would not even be classified as an alcoholic beverage today. Does that make sense? So the wine that they drank was extremely diluted, but the fact still remains that there was still alcohol in it. That's what I'm saying. It's just common sense. Like people will say, no, 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 you can't drink alcohol. Listen, it was alcoholic, whether it was 2% or 3% or 20%. It was still alcoholic. There was alcohol in the stuff that Jesus drank. And ultimately, there's two sides to the coin here. In the Bible, it talks a lot about wine and strong drink alcohol uh, being a blessing by God, from God. But on the other side, it talks about it being kind of a problem and a curse even in a sense. It's a bad thing, but it's also a good thing. And so I'm going to talk about both of those things today. First off, we're going to talk about alcohol as a blessing. Because wine, in the Old Testament especially, was viewed as a blessing from God. It was. It can be abused. But man, it was a blessing. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine as a part of his blessing of Abraham in Genesis 14. In Genesis 27, we see Isaac's blessing of Jacob included a petition for an abundance of grain and wine. God gave the Levites the best of Israel's wine as a blessing in Numbers 18. And then in Deuteronomy, God promises to give Israel wine as a blessing for their obedience. So Ecclesiastes 9, 7, it says, I'm actually gonna read this one. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Sounds like wine was viewed as a blessing, right? That's what we see here, Deuteronomy 14, 26. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. In John chapter two, that's where we come finally to the, the wedding at Cana, right? I know that's what people always wanna know about. Was the wine that Jesus made alcoholic? Or was it non-alcoholic, all right? But this is what happens. There's this wedding Jesus shows up to and his mom says, hey, Jesus, we're running out of wine. Uh, I need you to do something, all right? How many of y'all know when your mama asks you to do something, you say, yes, ma'am, come on now. And so Jesus, he said, he literally says, woman, it's not my time. And she says, son, you better do what I ask you right now. That's, that's, how, I imagine, that's how I imagine his mama right there. And he says, okay, all right. And so he goes and he takes these six big uh, jars and turns water into wine. And, and this would have been a normal thing at, at weddings and festivals and celebrations in Jewish history. They drank alcoholic wine. This is something they did. We know this from early church history. We know this from not just biblical accounts, but also uh, historical accounts that this was a very normal thing for them to drink alcoholic beverages at celebrations, the same way that we still do today, all right? It's the same way that people celebrate and they grab a beer. It's the same thing they did back then. Here's the deal. Was it alcoholic or not? We'll talk about that later. Okay, here we go. Next thing, alcohol as medicine, all right? That's the next thing I want to talk about. Alcohol as medicine. It was a blessing, but then it was also medicinal. So not really a blessing or a curse, but just kind of uh, useful in a sense. So Paul is talking to Timothy 
1 Timothy 5.23, he says, it kind of is an aside. It's actually in uh, parentheses when you read it in your Bible. But it says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So Paul's telling Timothy, man, drink some wine to help your stomach out, dude. Because the water back in those days was very contaminated with bacteria. They didn't have the same clean water that you and I have today. It is not the same thing whatsoever. And so they actually used wine because uh, alcohol and wine has an antiseptic property where it can kill bacteria. That's why they would dilute it with water. So they're not just getting drunk, but they're using the wine honestly kind of as a way for them to be able to drink water. And it helps with their stomachs and it would help kill bacteria. So it had uh, use in that way as well. And it was a very popular drink, by the way. Just about everybody drank wine, especially in that area where Jesus grew up in and where he lived. So it was watered down, killed bacteria. And then in Proverbs 31, it's, it's full of sayings from uh, King Lemuel's mother. And we aren't sure uh, who this person is, but it's thought that Lemuel is another name for Solomon, which would make Lemuel's mother none other than who? Bathsheba, which is very interesting. We don't know that to be a fact, but it seems that it's very likely that this was Bathsheba that was writing. Now, the second half of Proverbs 31, all the ladies up in this place probably know it. I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. Come on now. Yes. Like that's who I am. Okay. We're not talking about that side. We're going to talk about the first half of Proverbs 31, which is where Lemuel's mom is encouraging her son to be a good king. And this is what she says. Proverbs 31, four through seven. Bless you. It's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So when somebody is on their deathbed, they're about to pass away. What do nurses and doctors give that person to help ease the pain? Morphine. Did they have morphine in ancient biblical times? No. What did they give people before they passed away? Alcohol. They gave them wine. They gave them strong drink. I said, hey, listen, man, we know you're in pain. You're about to pass away. And I don't think anybody would be opposed to giving somebody pain medication right before they pass away if they're in terrible, terrible pain. No one's going to be opposed to that, right? Uh, Watch any Western or Civil War movie, and you're going to see this. Any kind of movie where there's swords or guns, okay? Like somebody gets shot in the leg, and the doctor comes out, and he says, boy, we're going to have to amputate, all right? And then he's like, no, don't do it. And he's like, yeah, we're going to have to, okay? And so what do they give them right before they amputate the leg? A big old shot of whiskey, you know? (laughs) Come on, like you've seen these movies before. You've seen these TV shows. They might even give them a bottle, okay? So you better drink up because this is about to hurt, my friend, and, and so that's what they would give them. But the point of this passage is not about alcohol. And people will take this, uh, Lemuel's mother, Bathsheba, whoever it is that's writing it, and they'll make it about alcohol. But listen, it's not even about alcohol. It's about her son being a good king. And she's saying, listen, you shouldn't drink beer. You shouldn't drink wine. Why? Because you need to be sober-minded. You are a king. You need to make sure that you remember the things that you say. You need to be sober-minded at all times. What if you're plastered drunk and then somebody comes to you and says, we're being attacked. What do we do? Right? You're always going to have to be sober-minded. And so it's not for you to drink alcohol. And it's even this idea of, for some people it might be cool, but not for you. 
And she's saying, let people that are dying drink. Let people, uh, you know, they're, they're drowning their sorrows away because they're poor or whatever it might be. Let them do that, okay? She's not endorsing it, but she's saying, just let them do that. That's not you. That's not who God's called you to be. So you're gonna be a little bit different. And why is she telling him to stay away from it? It's because she knows the other passages and verses and things that alcohol, it's a bad thing. Many, many times we see that alcohol can be destructive. And so as a mother, she's saying, hey, son, um, stay away from that stuff. It probably even affected their family. Think about that for a second. How was alcohol involved in David and Bathsheba? We don't know, right? But maybe it was. So she probably knows a little bit about that. So it has this property of, 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 of helping people when they're hurting and in pain, uh, in sickness or whatever it might be as they're passing away, that you can use it. So she's saying there are some, some uses for it, but the point of the passage is about her son. Anyway, let's move on. Alcohol is a blessing. Alcohol can be used kind of neutrally as a medicinal, but it could also be a drug. It can also be a curse. It can also be an addiction. It can also be a big problem in your life. Proverbs 20, verse one says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What does that mean? Drink too much, wine will make a fool out of you. Beer will make you a brawler. Well, at least you think you're a brawler. When you're at the bar, you big tough guy. Throw back some beers. I'm going to fight somebody. Okay, yeah, you think that you're cool. You're about to get your teeth knocked out, my friend. It's not smart is what it's saying. And Proverbs 23, 29 through 35 says, and, and read this. You have to understand what this is saying here. This is actually describing someone who's addicted to alcohol. Now read this through that lens. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Talking about getting beat up. Who has redness of eyes? Who's hungover? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Because in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Now, this is describing someone who's addicted to wine, addicted to alcohol. And, and let's be real, addiction is the main concern when we talk about alcoholic beverages, especially as Christians, and, but just in general. I mean, it can lead to terrible consequences, right? Uh, the writer of Proverbs says, even though it looks good, it looks delicious, right? Hey, this is some good stuff. This is some fine wine right here. It looks good, but at the end of the day, it might come to bite you in the butt. It might become addictive for you. It might look good, it might taste good, you might enjoy it, but it could end up being a problem. Well, right now you're not addicted to it, but maybe one day you will be. And what happens then? Lightly, in a sense, alcohol, in the first verse we looked at, could make you just look like a fool, right? You say some stupid stuff, makes you kind of look like a fool, makes a mockery of you is what it said, or you get some knocked out teeth, okay? Like you think you're a brawler, you get in a fight, you do something stupid. But in a more serious sense, and more serious consequences, what? Car accidents, How many car accidents have been caused by people drinking and driving? Marriages that have failed, people that have died, jail time. Like there's some serious consequences here. And the Bible is warning of the lighter consequences of you just doing something stupid and making a fool out of yourself, but also, hey, there's some serious stuff that could happen if you're not careful. 
So then what are we supposed to do, okay? Because it's a blessing, medicinal, it's bad, it's a curse, whatever it might be. In a sense, it's a drug. So what are we supposed to do as Christians? And should we drink or should we not drink? And what about that wine at the wedding of Cana, Trevor? I know, we'll get to it. I think abstinence versus moderation, that's the kind of the two sides in the Christian community. And I really believe at the end of the day, it's a matter of conviction. I really do believe that. Uh, I do not believe it's a sin to drink alcohol. Uh, It might be for you though. So we'll get to that. Uh, Wine at the wedding of Cana. Let me just be real with you guys. We don't know. We don't know. I hate doing that to you. I'm so sorry. We don't know. We don't know. If it's alcoholic or if it was non-alcoholic, scholars are divided on that. The text, it does seem to imply that it was alcoholic though in a sense that it doesn't use a different word. And, and the, the master of the feast, he comes up and he says a few things about, you know, the best, you save the best wine for last. They would not have drank grape juice at weddings. Guys, just use common sense, all right? Like they're not drinking grape juice at a wedding. That's just not what they would have done. That's not historical. That's not Jewish history. That's not early church history. That's just not what they did. Whether you like that or not, that's just what the text says. I'm just, I'm bringing what the Bible says, Okay. Um, but here's the deal. It implies it's alcoholic. It might've not been though. And you could take it either way because maybe the best wine, say the best wine for last, maybe it was just so, so delicious and so rich and so pure and amazing that they were just like, wow, this is incredible. Like this is the best like grape juice we've ever had in our lives. This is a million times better than that Welch's stuff, you know? Like maybe that's what he was saying. We just don't know. But here's my opinion on it. I don't even care. I don't care if it was alcoholic or not. Let me just break this down. There's almost 250 passages about alcohol or strong drink, wine in the Bible. Not one of them says don't drink it. Not one. You can find me one, you let me know. I'll tell you right now, it's not there. That's what I care about more. There's all these passages in the Bible that say, what do they say? Don't get drunk. Don't be a drunkard. Be sober-minded. Don't get drunk. But not one time in all of the Old Testament or the New Testament, the epistles, Jesus, Old Testament writers, not one of them says don't drink it. They don't say it. And so let me take you through that. Titus 2, 3, it says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Does it say don't drink the wine? No, it says don't be addicted to much wine. What is that saying? It's saying don't get too crazy with your margarita nights, ladies. Come on. Like, just live respectably. Live honorably so that you can teach your kids and teach your family the right way to live. Don't get crazy. And then Paul's talking to Timothy. He's talking more kind of to the men now. He's talking to some of the church leaders about qualifications for ministers and for pastors, what that looks like. 1 Timothy 3.3 three. He must not be a heavy drinker. Does he say he must not drink at all? No. He must not be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. What is Paul teaching here? The idea of moderation. Moderation is all throughout the Bible. You've probably heard this before, that too much of a good thing is what? A bad thing. Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. It really can. And can I just be real straight with you guys today? Or, I feel like I've already been pretty straight with y'all, but can I be extra pointed with y'all this morning? Is that fine? Okay, some of y'all said no, but it's all right. 
Christians are quick to hate on people who drink, but won't call out the fat preacher. In the same passage that Paul says, don't get drunk, don't be a drunkard, they won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You know what's right next to it? Being a glutton. We won't talk about that. You know, people will say, well, if you, okay, no one's gonna say if you eat too much, you might become a glutton, so you should never eat. Who says that? Nobody. If you make too much money, you might fall into greed. So as a Christian, you should just probably not make a lot of money. That's not what the Bible says. Sex in the context of marriage is holy and good. Sex outside of the context of marriage is evil and unholy. It's the same exact act in a different context. One is holy, one is not. So some people will drink for the effects though, right? Some people are just drinking so that they can get wasted, right? Or some people are just drinking maybe because it gives you that liquid courage, you know what I mean? Like that's how I've heard that so many times, liquid courage. It makes you more fun, more relaxed, less stressed. And some people will say, I need alcohol to be fun. I need alcohol to be fun. Listen, first off, I don't think you do. Just stop being boring, you know? Quit being a boring person. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't think you do. Just be fun. Have a good time. If you're, if you're boring and you're a Christian, man, come on now. You're living your life wrong. The same, but here's the deal. The same Christians that lecture those people with saying, you shouldn't drink alcohol for the effects of it, are the same people that will say this sentence, the same sentence, but with a different drink. They'll say, I need coffee to be functional. You ain't got no problem going to Starbucks every single morning for that pumpkin spice latte in the fall with eight and a half shots, venti, every morning. And then you will hate on the person that drinks one drink with their wife on their anniversary and say, you're in sin. Who's in sin here? I'm sorry. It's not that person, it's you. Because you're addicted to caffeine. Man, I understand that coffee and alcohol is different, okay? So stop. Caffeine and ethanol are two different things. I get that. One, uh, one puts you in a car accident, one keeps you from getting in a car accident. You know what I mean? Like, I drink coffee so I can stay awake sometimes. Listen, I get that it's different, but the biblical concept is the same. Are you mastered by it? Are you controlled by it? Are you addicted to it? Man, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, this is Paul. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Am I mastered by caffeine? Am I mastered by food? Am I mastered by money or alcohol or weed or pain pills, anything else? Am I mastered by it? Paul says you can't be mastered by anything. Christians, we gotta live in the tension between abstinence and moderation because drinking in itself is not wrong, but it could be. It very well could be. Here's where it's wrong, is when my Christian liberty causes somebody else to stumble. And to be honest, I'd rather play it safe than push the limits. That's just me. Call me the weaker Christian in Romans 14. I don't care. I'd rather play it safe than push the limits. I would rather please God than push God. All y'all know that one kid that is so annoying that will just push your boundaries and push every little button that you have and he will push the limits and push the boundaries just trying to see what he can get away with. Why would you do that to your father in heaven? Do you really need that six pack and that other six pack? Like what are you gaining from drinking all that? I've never heard of one marriage that was better because of heavy alcohol consumption. I've never heard anybody, I mean, my life got so much better when I started drinking. It's really, it's so much better. 
But why would you do that to God? Why would you even mess with that? Yeah, you got wasted. It was hilarious, all right? There's some of the funniest memories I ever have in my life are the few times that I got absolutely wasted. Hilarious. Dude, you were on the table, and then you were so drunk, it was crazy. The table just broke right out from underneath you. It was hilarious. We were all laughing. Yeah, but it didn't please God. It might be hilarious, but God's not laughing. I'm just gonna tell you straight. If you got drunk, you sinned against God. Like, just call it what it is. Call a spade a spade. It doesn't please God. You can have a fantastic time. You can hang out with your friends and family, have the night of your life. But if you got drunk, you've sinned against God. That's what the Bible says. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to foolery, which leads to craziness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying, listen, you can only be filled with one thing. You can be filled with alcohol or you can be filled with the Spirit of God. You could fill your lungs with weed or you could fill your lungs with praise. Come on, somebody. You could fill your mind with pornography or you can be filled with the Spirit of God. You can only be filled with one thing and I choose to be filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? I don't want to be drunk on spirits. I want to be drunk on the Spirit. Come on, somebody, today. That's what I want. Listen, if you get defensive about your Christian liberty, you've entirely missed the point. And if you get defensive thinking that it's a sin, you've also missed the point. Romans 14 is the best passage to ever go to when you're looking uh, for disputable matters, for matters especially about alcohol and things like this. I'm gonna read it to you. I gotta fly, okay? Because we got Serve 101 right after this and I want everyone to sign up for Serve 101. So uh, we gotta fly through this. Romans 14, one through three. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over what? Disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything and you can replace eat with drink. They were talking about food because there were some foods that they weren't sure if they could eat or not. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. Another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does for God has accepted them. How many times has somebody who does drink looked down on somebody who doesn't and the person that doesn't drink looks down on the person that does? And literally in Romans 14, it says, don't do that. And yet we do. Skip to Romans 14, six. Whoever eats meat or drinks does so to the Lord for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Skip to verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind. This is the, this is the most important thing I will ever say in this message, so listen in. Make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. You wanna talk about weed? Okay, we can talk about that, that's a whole nother message. But he's saying nothing inherently is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating or drinking, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Can you look at that for a second? Do not by your eating and insert my, my drinking beer, my wine loving on when I go do my wine tastings and when I go out to the brewery or when I go and have a drink at Applebee's. Like, I don't care what you're doing. But do not by your eating or drinking destroy someone for whom Christ loved. Listen, the point of all of this is in your Christian liberty, do not ever cause somebody to stumble in their faith. 
you invite somebody over to the house, what if they were a former addict and now you're offering them beer or wine and you don't even know? And now you're just causing them to think about it again. And maybe you kind of, a lot of times people that drink the Christian Liberty Camp, they're a little pushy about it. They're like, come on, man. Like, come on, drink, come on. Do not destroy somebody for whom Christ loved. If they have a conviction about it, leave it alone. And the same from the other side. If you have a conviction about not drinking, listen, what might be a sin for you might not be a sin for me. And what's a sin for me might not be a sin for you. Did you know that God treats us all differently? A lot of people don't understand this concept. It's a very, very biblical concept that God treats you differently than he treats me based off of my experiences, the things that God wants me to do in my life. The Holy Spirit will convict me in a different way than he will convict you. People have a hard time with that. They they just make blanket statements and think that everybody's supposed to be treated the same in the kingdom of God. That is not how God works. Look through all of scripture. Why were the Nazarites not allowed to drink? Well, if you say everybody's supposed to be treated the same, well, then what's going on there? That's not fair because God called them to that. If God tells you to do something and then you don't do it, that's a sin. If he tells you not to do something and you do that thing, it's now a sin. Does that mean the thing itself was a problem? Maybe not. Somebody else might be able to drink alcohol and God has not convicted them of that. They've never had a problem with alcohol ever in their life. Their family's never had a problem with alcohol. They might have just a little drink every once in a while and God has not told them anything about that. It might not be a sin for them. But man, if you're a former addict, do you know you got a problem with it? Or maybe God has just told you not to do it. Then don't. Because now that thing will become a sin for you because now you're just straight up going against what God told you to do. Does that make sense? I'm gonna finish with this today. I'll read a little story to you that I think illustrates this well. The late Bible teacher, H.A. Ironside, was once at a Sunday school picnic in Detroit where a former Muslim from India who had come to know Christ was present. His name was Muhammad Ali, not the boxer. He ran his father's tea business in the States. As Ironside and he were chatting, a young woman came by passing out sandwiches. Ironside helped himself to several of them. But when Mr. Ali learned that they were pork or ham, he refused to take any. The young woman laughingly said, why, Mr. Ali, you surprised me. Are you so under the law that you cannot eat pork? Don't you know a Christian is at liberty to eat any kind of meat? He said, I am at liberty to eat it. He said, but but I'm also at liberty to let it alone. You know that I was brought up a strict Muslim. My old father, nearly 80 years of age now, is still a Muslim. Every three years, I go back to India to give an account of the business and to visit folks at home. Always I know how I will be greeted. The friends will be sitting inside. My father will come to the door and say, Muhammad, have those infidels taught you to eat the filthy hog meat yet? No, father, I will say, pork has never passed my lips. And then I can go in and have the opportunity to preach Christ to them. If I took one of your sandwiches, I could not preach Christ to my father the next time I go home. That's the point. The converted Muslim was willing to limit his liberty in Christ for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel going forward. And whether towards unbelievers or toward weaker Christians out of love, you should not insist your rights and your liberties upon anybody else if it would damage the testimony of Christ. And just at the end of the day, the point is don't think about your Christian liberty first. Think about others first. 
think about how what I'm doing is affecting other people. If we care so much about ourselves saying, well, I can drink alcohol because the Bible says I can, and yet you're causing harm to somebody else, maybe you don't even know that you're doing it. You might not even know. You don't know what everybody struggles with. And you post on social media that you're having a drink. Maybe, let's say I posted something on social media. Oh, Pastor Trevor's having a drink of alcohol. I guess maybe, you know, he said that it's okay and the Bible, you know, says we, we can drink and he drinks and, you know, maybe I can drink. And then they get re-addicted to it and then their life ends up in ruins again. Did I play a part in that? Absolutely, you better believe I did. So the, our church's convictions on alcohol anyway, I'm gonna say our church and then personal, right? So um, we will never serve alcohol at any event for Radical Church, we'll never do it. I've worked with recovery ministries before and uh, Ms. Jana Joy is sitting right here who is doing kind of a recovery restoration small group right now. And let me tell you, if you struggle with alcohol in any way, I want you, will you just wave your hand real quick? Would you mind? She would love to connect with you. She leads a small group here at the church. Are you having it today? Every Sunday from two to four. If you struggle with alcohol addiction or any kind of addiction, if you're in recovery for anything, you talk to this lady and you show up at two o'clock today, all right? How weird would it be though, if we do a recovery ministry and then, you know, you do your event and then the next day we have an event where we're serving alcohol. How, just as weird, just use your common sense. We as a church don't want anyone to ever stumble in that way. And I know there's context, there's culture, there's all kinds of different things. In Germany, they're gonna be different, right? In Italy, they're gonna be different, okay? But that's my conviction as the pastor of this church, that's what we are going to do, okay? And then you have to figure out your personal convictions. Do I have a family history of addiction, personal history? What about my witness? Am I gonna post on social media, me drinking alcohol? I mean, like, am I only gonna drink at home? Am I gonna go out with some buddies and drink? Like, am I okay with that? Do I only drink when I go on vacation? You know, where I don't know anybody, you know what I mean? Like, or, or do I, you know, can I drink around Kyle or Buda or wherever where there's people that I might know and might see me? Listen, what if you invite somebody over and you don't know that they struggle with alcohol and now you're, and we drive vehicles now. We got to think about that too. Crashing your donkey wasn't a big deal 2000 years ago, okay? You just got to think about these things, you know? Like, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just sharing what the Bible says about it. And I need you to pray about it. I need you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you calling me to do? Me. Not what you call Pastor Trevor to do. That's why I'm not telling you what I do. Because you don't need to know. You need to know what God is telling you to do. You need to pray. You need to look at it. You need to talk with your spouse. You need to talk with your friends. You need to talk with your family. You need to figure out by the power of the Holy Spirit and Him speaking to you and saying, God, what would you have me to do? I give this issue to you. I give this thing to you. And at the end of the day, it seems like such a small issue and yet it could be a really big issue, right? That's why it talks about it so much in scripture. But here at the end of the day, what am I gonna do? Pray to God, let Him speak to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. Would you stand with me today? I want to pray with you real quick because I know there's some people in here that struggle with alcohol. You do. This might be something that you've dealt with your entire life or you were greatly affected by somebody else that struggled with alcohol. And man, listen, if you're in a place of addiction right now, let me tell you that Jesus will set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And so I'm gonna be filled with the spirit of God. I don't wanna be filled with spirits 
I don't want to be filled with alcohol, man. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. And now we've talked today about moderation, abstinence, man, that's up to you and God. But there's somebody in here today that wants to be done with this forever. There's somebody in here today that wants to say, I'm giving it up. I can't do this anymore. It's affecting my life too much. I gotta get rid of this thing in my life. I don't want it to hold back my witness. I don't want it to hold back what God wants for me in my life. And then there's some people in here today that you don't struggle with it, but you were just curious about it. And maybe you were in this Christian Liberty camp and now you're kind of like, wow, I can kind of see maybe the other side a little bit more. And maybe you were in the abstinence, it's all a sin camp. And you're like, man, I can, I can kind of see this other side now. This is, this is interesting, it's different. I need to pray about this and you know, see what God has me to do. God tells you not to do it, don't tells you it's fine, it's fine, all right? But you gotta go out of here and you have to do the work. You gotta at least pray. You gotta talk to God about it. Don't leave this place and say, well, cool, all right, I'm just gonna go on doing whatever. Man, pray about it. But I wanna pray with you. So would you bow your heads today? Father God, right now in this place, there's somebody struggling with alcohol addiction. There's somebody that is feeling hopeless, like they can't ever get out of this thing. They keep going back to the bottle time and time and time again and they feel like they're completely overwhelmed and there's no way out. And yet we know that there is a way out and that is by Jesus Christ, by the salvation power uh, and then the, the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and within our minds to cleanse us from the inside out. And so God, I pray right now for freedom over somebody. Right now we declare in the name of Jesus that somebody is being set free from addiction right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody is being set free from that bottle, being set free from wine, set free from beer, set free from liquor right now today by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you're doing it. We claim this right now, freedom in the name of Jesus. Come on, if that's you, you know that that's you. And I pray that you give it to God today. You don't have to do this any longer, but look to the scripture. We've looked to it today. And would you just fix your eyes on Jesus? says he's the author and finisher of our faith. Man, he will finish the work within you that has been started right here, right now in this message. And I pray right now, Father, for those that are on either side of the camps, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to their hearts, have them be convicted one way or the other and help us to stay true to our convictions. Help us to stay true to you in everything that we do. God, we thank you that you're in this place. Thank you for your word that leads us and guides us. We give all of this to you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for Jesus in the house of God today? I hope this has helped you. And man, if you wanna stick around for Serve 101, you're ready to get involved. You're ready to be a part of the team. Please stay right where you're at. Let everybody else get out of here. And then we'll start right here at the front in about two minutes. You can leave your kids there. Man, we'll see you next week.